Second Kings chapter 20, beginning at verse 1. This is what the word of God says. About that time, Hezekiah became deathly ill. And the prophet Isaiah, son of Amaz, went to visit him. He gave the king this message. This is what the Lord says. Get your affairs in order, for you're going to die. You will not recover from this. When Hezekiah heard this, he turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Remember, O Lord, how I have always been faithful to you, how I have served you, single-mindedly, always doing what pleases you. Then he broke down and he wept bitterly. But before Isaiah had even left the middle of the courtyard, the message came to him from the Lord. He said, go back to Hezekiah, the leader of my people. Tell him this is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David says. I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. I will heal you in three days from now. You will get out of your bed and go to the temple of the Lord. I will add 15 years to your life. I will rescue you. I will rescue you. Don't you love that? I will defend the city for my own honor, for my own glory, and for the sake of my servant David. Then Isaiah said, make an ointment from figs. So Hezekiah's servant spread the ointment over the boil, and Hezekiah recovered. Meanwhile, Hezekiah has said, Isaiah, what's a sign with the Lord to prove that he will heal me? that I will go to the temple of the Lord for three days from now. Isaiah replied, This is a sign from the Lord to prove that he will do as he's promised. Would you like the shadow of the sun thou to go forward ten steps or backward ten steps? The shadow always moves forward, Hezekiah replied. So that would, that would be easy. Make it go ten steps backwards instead. So Isaiah the prophet asked the Lord to do this. And he caused the shadow to move 10 steps back on the sundial. Amen. Let's pray. Father, bless this word as we come to this morning in your service, Lord. Just pray, God, that this morning, as many of us, like Hezekiah, Lord, we may be faced with a difficulty that's beyond what we're able to handle or even fix right now, Lord. For some, it's a marriage. For some, it's an illness, a child, a problem, Lord. Help us to understand the power of praying to you. Help us to understand suffering. And help us to understand your purpose behind our pain and our tears. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys can have a seat. I want to speak to you this morning on the topic of praying to God first. I love the reaction of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, he gets a word from Isaiah, the man of God, and says... You're going to die. You won't recover. Get your affairs in order. So Hezekiah gets this word from the Lord that he's going to die. And he says, get everything in order. Get ready to die. How many of you are ready to die? Weird question, right? I'm ready. But see, understand something about this. People tend to think that God changed his mind here. He doesn't change his mind. Hezekiah ultimately died, but not when the Lord said he would. The Lord actually prolonged his life. 
But see, what I love about Hezekiah is that as he gets this bad report, as he gets this bad news and he's told that he's going to die, he didn't run to a doctor. He didn't run to his family. He didn't run to his friends. His first reaction when given this diagnosis, he ran to himself and he ran to God. And the first reaction that he had was prayer. Let me ask you this question. Is prayer your first reaction in crisis? You might think it is. But a lot of times when we're faced with a crisis, the first thing you think about is, what am I going to do? Your first reaction is to think you have control over it yourself. And maybe you might think, well, I need this person's help, or I need this amount of money to get out of this, or I need to accomplish this to get out of this situation. And honestly, if you would ask the majority of people what's their first reaction when they're faced with a crisis, prayer is mostly our last resort. Nothing's worked out, so I might as well pray. Nothing's happening, so I might as well go to God and pray for this. But Hezekiah's first reaction in the midst of crisis was pray. But a lot of times we don't pray because we feel as though it's impossible. Or a lot of times we don't even pray because we think about the fact that we don't deserve for God to even listen to us because of who we are or what we've done or the mistakes we've made. So why would I ever go to God if I don't even deserve to be in the presence of God in the first place? Sometimes we don't pray because we think it's not even possible and why bother and I don't want to get my hopes up. But the Bible says that you have not because you ask not. So what if God has the miracle in his hands? What if God has the solution, yet you're not praying for it? I was talking to my mom this morning on the way here, and it came to my mind. And I remember as a kid, we had this dog, and she was pregnant. And the day came for her to give birth to these puppies. So we were all excited, and there she was. And the problem is, is that this dog only gave birth to one puppy. And the remaining puppies were all inside her, and this was a crisis now. So my mom calls the vet and explains what's happening, and the vet tells her, if those puppies don't come out soon, you're going to have to rush her to the vet to have emergency surgery. And the surgery costs about $500, right, mom? But you know that $500 way back when, I mean, not that long ago, I'm not that old, but way back in those times... $500 was like $2,000. So some of you are like, put the dog down. I'm not paying that. But see, my mom, she got my brothers. I'll never forget this. She got my brothers and I, and she got us together. And I remember thinking, well, are we coming together to wish her goodbye? Like, I know they're not going to pay that $500. But then my mom said, we're going to lay hands on this dog and pray. We're going to lay hands on this dog and pray. For a dog. And as my mom laid her hands on that dog, it had to have been five to ten minutes later, the dog got right up 
walked around a few steps, and the whole litter came right out. And I know what you think, well, that's amazing, but listen, that was the first time in my life, I still remember it to this day, that was the first time in my life I knew the power of prayer as a kid. But you have to understand something, though. In order for God to demonstrate the power of prayer, he had to put my dog in a crisis. So you have to understand that sometimes when God wants to display his power and love in your life, he will put you in a crisis. And God will often put you in a time of need to meet that need. In a time of crisis to display that miracle. And we love it when God shows us a miracle. We love it when God delivers us. But in order for God to deliver us, we first have to be placed in the problem. Are you getting this today? In order for God to answer our prayers, sometimes, like my dog, he has to allow a difficult circumstance. As a child, I didn't understand why God would make my dog sick, why God would even put my dog's life on the line. Why would God allow this? I remember as a child telling myself, God, this is unfair. I love this dog. Why would you ever do this to us? We love this dog. And we question God and we think he's unfair but we don't understand that oftentimes God has to put us in a situation of difficulty to display his power. And I understand now that I've gone through that, that it wasn't so much that God loved my dog. It's the fact that God knew I loved that dog. And God loves me. I love what verse 5 says in this passage of scripture. Hezekiah is faced with a crisis. But notice what the Bible says. Go to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, and tell him. Notice the first thing God wants to tell this man who's in crisis. This is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David says. The first thing God tells him. I have heard your what? prayers and I have seen your tears in other words God was telling Hezekiah I am very aware of what you're going through I understand the difficulty of your circumstances. I know your pain because oftentimes when we're going through a crisis, we tend to think that God is nowhere to be found. God doesn't see my pain. Where is God in all of this? Does God even know what I'm going through? Does God even understand the pain that I carry and the burden? And the answer to that question is yes. He says, I hear your prayers. No matter how difficult your life gets, no matter how unfair it may seem, if you would pray to God, he will always hear that prayer. He may not answer it right away. He may not answer it the way you want him to, but God hears your prayer. So why aren't you praying? The Bible says that God tells Hezekiah, I see your tears. I see you crying. 
I see your pain. I see what someone has done to you. I see what you're going through. I am very aware of what you're going through. And God says, I will heal you. So not only does God hear our prayers and God see our pain, but God also has a plan. God understands what you're going through and he understands what he needs to do to get you out. At the time, you can't understand it. But God knows everything about you and your life and even the future you can't even see right now. At the time, it might seem unfair. At the time, it may seem like it makes no sense. But God's hand is on you. See, right before this story, Hezekiah went through a massive war. And this massed army came to attack him, and they sent him letters of discouragement, and they were telling him, give up, and God can't save you, you might as well quit, you're going to die tomorrow. And Hezekiah, in his state of discouragement and, and fear, the first reaction he had, he locked himself in the room, he got all the letters that that enemy wrote, and he prayed. And the very next day, one angel came. The Bible says one angel, one, and killed 185,000 soldiers. Can you imagine one angel doing that? And then God says in his words, I cause my angels in the plural to cover you. If one angel can kill 185,000, what can multiple that multiple angels do that God dispatches on your behalf? That's why you have to walk with confidence, with no fear, because the Lord knows what you're going through. But see, I understand this suffering because Hezekiah was afraid and he was discouraged and he was suffering because this enemy was causing all this pain. And some suffering we can trace. Some suffering we know why exactly why we're going through it. Some of you are suffering because of someone else's negligence. Some of you are suffering because someone else's selfishness. And in their selfishness and in their ignorance, they might have hurt you. It's easy to point some of the suffering. Some of you are suffering because of your own doing, your own mistakes, your own failures. And it's easy to understand, okay, I know why I'm going through this. It's because of this. It's because of that. It's because of me. It's because of this person. So Hezekiah is able to understand why he's suffering. It's because of this enemy. He prayed and God took care of it. But now, after this amazing victory, it's like the very next day, God hits him with a sickness. And now Hezekiah doesn't understand why he's suffering this way. See, some suffering has an explanation. But what about when you're suffering something that has no explanation? What about when you're suffering and you don't know why? 
He gets ill and he doesn't understand why. He's told that he's going to die and it makes no sense as to why. And God tells him through Isaiah, you won't recover. And this makes no sense. And some of you are going through a situation right now that has no explanation. You just don't know why this has happened to you. It makes no sense. Pastor, it's unfair. And I don't understand why God is doing this. And I don't deserve this. But here's the saddest part about Hezekiah's illness. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, God promises David, your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time. Your throne will be secured forever. God made a promise to David's lineage, which is Hezekiah, that his throne will always be established. But here's the problem. Hezekiah has no children, no son, to take over that kingdom that God said would never depart. And Hezekiah not only feels as though the promises of God have failed, but it also feels like the timing of this sickness is wrong. Hezekiah knows he's going to die one day. But he didn't realize that that death would be so early. So there are two problems here. It looks like the promises of God have failed. And God's timing is wrong. See, I wonder today how many of you are faced with a circumstance that appears as though the promises of God has failed you. You read in the Bible how God will always provide for you, but right now you can't even make provisions. The Bible promises you that God will never give you more than what you can handle, but you're going through things you can't handle anymore. And the God that we serve promises, I'll never leave you nor forsake you, but it really does feel like that. And the God that we serve promises that he'll work out everything for our good, but why does it feel like right now everything is not working out for my good and is actually working for my bad? See, if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes in this life, it's going to look like God's promises have failed you. Hezekiah knows that The lineage is supposed to continue on because that's what God promised. But if I die and have no son, I have no heir. And if I have no heir, then God lied to me. So you may be faced with a situation right now that it just looks like God has abandoned his promise. But what about the other problem? And it's time. Some of you feel right now that God's timing is wrong. Don't pretend like you don't. But you could ask people today in Texas, and there's a mother who lost a two-year-old yesterday, that terrible shooting, and that mother will tell you, my son died too early. It makes no sense when God takes children away from us. And we say, they die too soon. So it seems like God's timing is wrong. 
They were supposed to grow up. They were supposed to go to college. They were supposed to be married. And I was supposed to be a grandparent. And it's too soon. Some of you, you think God's timing is so off that you're telling God, God, I've been single too long. And it makes no sense. God, I'm such a catch. Why am I single? God, I don't understand this. Some of us, you're married and you're thinking, God, we should have had children by now. It makes no sense why you haven't allowed us to have children. It's way too late already and it feels like God's timing is off. And you're telling God, God, I've been in this situation far too long. Or even when God blesses you and takes it away, Lord, I couldn't even enjoy that. It was too short. Could you trust God not only in the circumstances, because we always say trust God when you're in trouble. Trust God when things are bad. I understand that. But when was the last time you really heard a preacher say, trust God and his timing? It might seem like God's timing is off on your life right now because you had it all mapped out and you had it all planned out. And by age 22, you would own that company already. And by age 25, you'd be married by now. And by age 30, you've had your first million. And by age 55, you would have retired early. Some of you, you all mapped it out. How many of you are living a life you planned out? Show me your hands. Everything you planned happened. Everything you wanted, you got it. Everything you expected, God gave it to you. Show me your hands. Look around. God's timing. The Bible says time is in his hands. Just because you wear a watch doesn't mean time is in your hands. God's timing is in his hands. If they die too soon, thank God for the time you had. If you're single too long, enjoy it. If you don't have that child yet, enjoy it. Sometimes we can't even enjoy where God has us because we keep telling God where we're not. And you're telling God what time it is. And it's time for you to act And it's time for you to get me out of this. And it's time for you to bless me. But if you understand that God and time is in his hands, you might actually have peace in your life. Because God will give you everything at the right time. And that time is when he feels it's right. So in Hezekiah's life, it seems as though the timing is wrong. And I'm not supposed to die yet because God hasn't fulfilled his promise yet. But what I love about Hezekiah is he prays. I wish I can can tell you something more complicated and theological, but he prayed. He prayed. Isaiah comes up to him and says, get your affairs in order. You won't recover. You're going to die. He says, I'll be right back. 
He faces the wall. Why does he face the wall? Because in the Hebrew culture, when you face the wall, it was a sign to God that you have no distractions. It was a symbolism of being alone with God. So the fact that he faced the wall means that he got alone with God. When was the last time you got alone with God? I'm not talking about praying at the dinner table. I'm not talking about praying at the altar. I'm not talking about praying at church or praying with your church friends. I'm not talking about any of that. I'm talking about when was the last time you locked yourself in a room alone with God and prayed? And prayed for everything in your heart. And prayed for everything you were going through. And just prayed no matter how hard it was. I just prayed no matter how impossible it is. I just prayed no matter how complicated. I'm just going to pray. And as cliche as it sounds, sometimes all you got to do is pray. Because prayer is all you have. There's no other solution. Just pray. Just pray. I hit your neighbor. Just pray. Pray. When faced with a circumstance beyond your ability to control or handle or fix, just pray. So he faces the wall and says, Lord, you just gave me a great victory that angel killing 185,000 people. That was awesome. But why aren't you awesome now? Lord, I don't understand this. You mean to tell me you deliver me from that, but you're going to kill me from this? Lord, you promised my throne will never be taken away. When was the last time you reminded God of his promises? Let me tell you some things. The Bible says, Hezekiah prayed. But it's not just that he prayed, it's what he prayed. He said, Lord, remember that I serve you. He tells God to remember. God doesn't forget But why did he say, God, remember that I serve you? See, to remember, in the Hebrew is a word, sakar, which literally means to bring something to mind. And I understand something now. Oftentimes, when we're going through a difficult situation... That seems unfair and you fall into a state of discouragement or depression or anger or fear. You know why you're in that state of depression, anger, discouragement or fear or worry or whatever else that goes into your mind? It's that simple. It's because whenever you're going through a circumstances, your mind begins to work. The problem you have is not the problem you're going through. The problem that you have is how you're thinking about the problem you're going through. He says the first thing he tells God is to remember, bring to mind. So let me ask you this question. What's on your mind right now? The mind is powerful. And so complicated. Especially when you think wrong thoughts. So I want to give you three things to remember, to bring to mind 
When faced with an impossible circumstance that has you discouraged, worried, and afraid. You guys ready for them? Yeah. You ready? ready? Let's see if your mind can change today. Because some of you are out of your mind, seriously. I love this. Verse 5. Hezekiah in verse 5 is promised. Go back to the leader of my people. Tell him this is what the Lord says. Your answer is David says, I've heard your prayers. I've seen your tears. I will, will heal you. I will. Everyone say will. Will. Will is speaking of the future tense. I will, not I have. Meaning, God, why aren't you doing it now? I will. I will heal you. And three days from now, you will get out of your bed. You know how I read this? When you trust God's timing, number one, remember, God's timing is perfect. Perfect! But pastor, I'm old. Perfect. God, I've been in this too long. Perfect. God's timing is not only perfect, but God will always fulfill his promise. Remember that. Notice what Peter says. You got to love Peter. 2 Peter 3.9. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise. How many would have disagreed with Peter? Like, yeah, he's being real slow right now. He's not answering it the way I want it right now. The Lord is not slow about his promises. As some people think. Notice what Peter said. Some of you are thinking wrong. So the first thing that comes to mind that brings a lot of discouragement and fear is the fact that you believe God is slow. God is not acting quick enough. God is not moving fast enough. God is not fixing it right now. But Peter reminds this church who's going through a difficult trial that God is not slow about his promise. As some of you think. No, he's being patient for your sake. Wait a minute. You mean God is actually patient because he's waiting on me? Wait a minute. It's about to get real. You guys ready? Brace yourself. Say, Pastor, I'm braced. All right. Sometimes we're discouraged because we're waiting on God. But the fact is, God has you waiting because he's still waiting on you. That's why God hasn't done it yet, because there's something you need to do first. That's why God just doesn't give it to you, because there's something he's waiting for you to do. God says... He's patient for your sake. See, God says, I'm looking out for you for your sake. If I give it to you now, you're just going to mess it up. 
If I just hand it to you, you're not going to appreciate it. So for your sake, I'm going to have you waiting because I'm patient and waiting on you. You're like, oh, pastor, I don't like this. I don't either. But God in his love will not give you what he has for you at the wrong time. Let me prove this to you in the story of Hezekiah. Verse 5, God says, I will heal you. I'll heal you. And what? Three days from now. Could God have healed them now? Could God have done it instantly? But he said, I'm putting you on a three-day plan. I'm putting you on bed rest. Some of you are on bed rest right now. And you're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And God says, I'm going to do it. You're going to get it. I'm going to bless you in three days. Well, why? Simple, verse 7. Good stuff right here. Look, Isaiah said, make some ointment from figs. So Hezekiah's servants spread the ointment all over the bowls and Hezekiah recovered. Wait a minute. You mean to tell me in those three days what God wanted him to do was make medicine? To be healed? Yes. Why? Because prayer doesn't mean that you sit around and be lazy. Sometimes God is waiting for you to apply something before he can do the miracle. Some of you, your miracles is based on God and also your actions. He tells Hezekiah, make some ointment. That's why I'm all for going to doctors and medicine and all of that. But when you pray first, when my mom had cancer, she believed in the healing power of God, but she went through chemotherapy. There's nothing wrong with that. You go to a doctor, you get your medicine, but don't ever let that substitute your prayer life. He applied it. In those three days, he was making ointment. He was applying it to his body. And when he got recovered, God got the glory, not that medicine. See, you might be waiting on God to act while all along he's waiting on you to act. Some of us pray a prayer that God says, I can do, but I need you to do something first. Because prayer was never meant to stop us from doing our part. It's easy and it's spiritual to say, just pray. But what if just praying is not enough because God is saying, I need you to do something first. You're praying for finances. You know when you pray for your finances, you're just praying, Lord, give me some wealth. Lord, make me rich. You're not praying to get out of debt. You're not praying to help the Lord with your spending. You're just praying for God to give you more. So you can get in more debt. Great. What if your miracle of being debt free is in prayer and applying some principles of spending? What if your miracle is cutting some credit cards up? What if your miracle is saying no to the shoes? What if your miracle is not eating out so much? What if your miracle is in saving? And when you get out of debt, you're like, yeah, it's a miracle. Yeah, it's a miracle. Between you and God. Some of you are praying for health. I love that. I read a book. I didn't read it. It was disgusting. But I saw a book, Pray Yourself to Weight Loss. <laughs> saw that yesterday in the bookstore. Pray Yourself to Weight Loss? 
You mean to tell me I can pray and lose weight and still have the cookie? Sign me up! You're praying for God to make you healthier. You know why God won't answer that prayer? Open up your pantry. Can I get a witness? You want God to move in that area of health, and God says you need to start moving. Because prayer is not always meant to take away action. Whether it be a financial miracle you need, a miracle in your body, what about a miracle in your marriage? You're on the verge of divorce, you can't stand the person you're with, and you're praying, Lord, help us. What do you think that means? That God is just going to wake you up? You're going to look at your partner and say, wow, why am I so in love with you right now? I can't resist. Come here, Bobby. Oh, my goodness. What happened? It's a miracle. It doesn't happen. You know, the miracle that happens in a restored marriage is because two couples come to agreement. We're in trouble and we both need to take action and apply truth to our marriage. We need to apply some medicine to our marriage. We need to spend some time alone. We need some more dates. We need to talk more. We need to reprioritize our commitment. And you'll be surprised the miracle of a restored marriage is when two couples come into an agreement and help. You're praying for God, a miracle that your child will be raised to love Christ. You think that you're going to pray over your child's bed? They're going to grow up and say, I love Jesus, I love church. Your kids don't like church. At least when they're teenagers or in college. Requires parenting, godly parenting, and a belt. Just saying. All the millennial parents like, oh, no, I didn't like that. Well, you... Don't ask me to exercise your demon of a child later on. <laughs> My favorite one is a miracle of the Lord bringing the right one. I'm just waiting for my bow ass. Love it. Love it. I love people that think that you're praying because you don't want to be single. That's cool. If you want to be single, that's great. It's a great life. Some of you don't. I like it. I got money, time, cats. It's cool. <laughs> we are praying for the right one. And all this time, Lord, bring me the right one. Lord, bring me the right one. Lord, where's the right one? And I love it. Lord, you gave Ruth a husband. But let me... Naomi came to her and said, Girl, you need to fix yourself up. You need to get in that shower, you need to comb that hair, you need to put some makeup on, then go get your man. See, the problem is we're too busy praying for the right one, but we need to be praying is, Lord, make me the right one for that right one. Make me the right one. You're praying for God to bring you the right one. He can't because you're a beast of a woman. You're a beast of a man. You're, you wreak havoc. You have a bad attitude. You're bitter all the time. You're angry. You're self-centered and selfish. But Lord, bless me. Why would God ever do that to that poor man? Why would God bring him to your life to destroy him? Now pray, Lord, when you're ready, because I'm ready, I think, when you're ready, Make me the right one. If there's signs 
in you right now that would ruin a relationship, work on it. Read a book or something. I don't know what you got to do. But see, a lot of prayers don't get answered because we refuse to apply medicine. We refuse to take action. And again, prayer was never meant to stop us from doing our part. Number two, remember, not only that God's timing is perfect, but in verse three, Hezekiah says, remember, Remember, O oh Lord, how I've always been faithful to you, how I've always served you and single-mindedly always doing what pleases you. It might, it might sound like Hezekiah's prayer is in the flesh, and Lord, remember how good I am and how, how awesome I have deserved this. That's not what Hezekiah is saying. Hezekiah doesn't even ask God to heal him. He's so humble. He doesn't even tell God what to do. You tell God what to do. Hezekiah didn't. He just says, Lord, remember how I've served you. So he's not saying, I'm good, I deserve it. But you have to understand the language that he's speaking here. He's saying, Lord, remember, we have a covenant agreement. See why prayer is so powerful is because you have a covenant relationship with the Lord. We know that it's not because he thinks he's perfect. Isaiah 38 16 through 17, Hezekiah, it shows us, Isaiah writes about Hezekiah's prayer. And Hezekiah actually prayed this to God while facing the wall. Lord, your discipline is good, for it leads to life and, and health. You restore my health and allow me to live. Yes, this anguish was good for me, for you have rescued me from the death and forgiven my what? My sins. Hezekiah knew that he was a sinner. So he's not telling God, I deserve this because I'm a good and righteous person. No, he actually agrees with God. Lord, I'm a sinner. I don't deserve this, but I have a covenant relationship with you. He reminds him of a covenant relationship. He's saying, Pastor, what is a covenant relationship? A covenant is not to be confused with a contract. See, in the Old Testament, when a covenant was signed and made, it was a one-way promise. It was a promise that said, it's going to benefit the other person, not me. So no matter what you do, no matter how you act, or no matter what you do and fail, I'm going to hold up my end of the promise. A contract says, if you agree and I agree and you do your part and I do my part, this contract can stay. But if you violate this, it's broken. That's it. And Jesus Christ died to get us into a covenant relationship with God, not a contract. If God said it was a contract, none of us could be forgiven because we violate this contract every day. But because we have a covenant relationship with God, no matter who you are, what you've done, how far you've gotten from God, God says, I will hold up my end. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. My love is endless. I will meet your needs according to my riches. I will be there for you even though you have not been there for me. Do you not realize in Luke chapter 22 verse 20 when Jesus Christ died on the cross, before he even stepped on the cross, he wanted to remind his disciples after supper, he said, this cup is my new what? Covenant. 
We know that that cup was a symbol of his blood. So now Jesus is saying, my death on the cross has now put you and God into a new covenant. When you repent of your sins and turn to Jesus, you enter into a covenant relationship with God, not a contract. So stop telling yourself, I can't pray for that because I've done that. God can't do this for me because this is who I am. Even though you may feel you have violated God said, this is a one-way street. Are you grateful for a covenant relationship and not a contract? That he says, listen, that's why God said that marriage is a covenant between two people, not a contract. You may sign papers when you get married. That's not a contract. That's why there's so many divorces today because we have a contract mentality. If you don't do it my way, I cut you. If I don't like how you're behaving, we're done. That's a contract mentality. God does not have a contract mentality. He has a covenant mentality. No matter who you are, what you've done, you may not hold your end, but I'm going to hold mine. I will be there for you. So he reminds God of a covenant relationship by saying, Lord, I know that I deserve this. I know that I'm a sinner, but I want to remind you of the covenant relationship. That's why God said, I'm going to heal you. Whenever you're facing a trial, a circumstance, a difficult situation beyond you, remind yourself and remind God who needs no reminder, Lord, I am your servant, I am your child, and whatever happens to me, I know it's on your agreement, on your side, and I have faithfulness to believe. You're with me. It's not a punishment. It's not God saying, I'm done with you. Hezekiah prays and say, Lord, we have a covenant. That's why Hezekiah, he gets word from Isaiah, you're going to die. You won't recover. And the first thing that comes to mind was, Lord, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray because I know that I have a covenant with you. And I know, Lord, if I die right now, that covenant agreement is broken because you promised my throne will be established forever. See, the devil hates it when you're reminded of the covenant relationship you have with Jesus Christ. That's why Hezekiah didn't accept defeat. He gets this bad report, he gets this bad news, and he says, you're going to die and you won't recover, get everything in order. But he didn't accept it. He didn't accept the words of Isaiah, but knew that God had the last word. See, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you're faced with, or even what people have told you, whatever mistakes you've made, The covenant relationship you have with Jesus Christ means you don't have to accept defeat. Just keep praying. You keep praying even when you feel like it's hopeless. You keep praying even when it feels like it's too long or too impossible. Pray first. When Peter was thrown into prison... And God opened up those prison gates. 
and got Peter delivered and out. It was a miracle. But the Bible says that there was a church praying for that man in jail. A church that loved him. A church that could do nothing to rescue Peter. How many of you know someone in your life that needs to be rescued and you can do nothing about it? It's a loved one, it's a spouse, it's a child, it's a friend. And they're going through some of their own bondage. And the pain is, I can't do anything to help them right now. But you can pray. And this little church prayed. And they had no idea that God was hearing their prayer. That the doors were shaking and the walls and the doors and the gates opened and the chains fell. You keep praying for those chains to fall off that loved one. You keep praying for those doors to open that are closed right now. And when Peter knocked at the door, they said, no, it can't be Peter. It must be someone else. Because sometimes you pray, but deep down inside, you don't believe that God can actually do it. But you pray. Now Peter goes into a house and he sees a dead girl on her bed. Everyone is crying because they've accepted death. They've accepted defeat. They said it's over. But Peter, he goes into that room by himself. He gets on his knees and the Bible says he faces the girl. Praise. Sometimes God is going to make you face something that hurts you. But whatever you're facing right now that is causing you pain, whether it be a child, a spouse, whatever, could you pray? And life came back to that child. Elijah was going through a severe drought for years. People were dying everywhere. There was no food. There was no water. And he got on top of a mountain and he got on his knees and he prayed. Six times, nothing happened. But every time nothing would happen, he would get back on his knees and pray. Because you don't see it, doesn't mean it's not going to happen. And the seventh time he sees a small cloud and he worships God because he knows his prayers have been answered. Whatever you're facing right now, could you just pray? But pastor, I I don't deserve it. You don't. But you have a covenant with God. But pastor, it's too impossible. Which brings me to my third point and final. Verse 9 through 11. Hezekiah is tested and says, this is a sign from the Lord to prove that he will do as he's promised. Would you like the shadow of the sun to go forward or backwards. And Hezekiah said, the shadow always moves forward, meaning time always goes forward, Hezekiah replied, that would be too easy. Let's make it go backwards instead. You have to remember something. God doesn't want an easy request from you. He says, 
praying for it to move forward makes sense and it's easy, meaning it's in the, na- in the natural, it goes forward. That's not impossible. I want to see the impossible happen. And he says, God, do the impossible. When was the last time you had the faith to even utter something impossible before God? So impossible that it scares anyone that hears you. Because remember, number three, remember, nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. He is able to do far more than we think, imagine, and even ask. He is able. He is able. Come on, say it with me. He is able. He's able. Turn to your neighbor and tell him he's able. So stop praying these little prayers that I could answer for you. And pray prayers that God says, I can't believe you even asked for that. I like it. Pray for something you know only God can do. Stop thinking in the natural. I don't care who you are, how limited you may be, what people have said, what you're going through. You have a God that says nothing is impossible and you have not because you ask not. So get the asking because the impossible is at hand. That's why you have a woman named Hannah who wanted a child and didn't have a child. She was tired and crying for a child. And she got so mad. She finally, in her anger, got on her knees and prayed. And God answered her prayer. Every prayer God answers, remember, though, is for His glory. James 4.3 I'll tell you why God doesn't answer your prayer. It might change your life. When you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. Ouch. Wait a minute. When you ask, tell God the reason why you want what you're asking for. Is it for you? Or for his glory. He said, Lord, give me this promotion so that I can have more money. So that with that money, I can bless your church. I can bless other people. I can use it for your kingdom. Why wouldn't God answer that? What's the reason behind what you're asking? Sometimes what we're asking is all about you. Lord, I want it for me, my glory, my pleasure, my desire. And God says, I can't give you that. But when you ask with right motives, the Lord will answer. So remember this, three things. Number one, God's timing is perfect. Number two, you're in a covenant relationship with God. And number three, nothing is impossible. Can we pray now? Let's all stand to our feet. We're going to pray together today. With every head bow, every eye closed, I want to ask you this question before we even pray. Are you in a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ? The only way Jesus says you get into a covenant relationship was through his blood. On that cross, it's not about your good works because none of us are good. It's not about what you do for God. It's about what God has done for you. If you believe with your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he was raised from the dead and he died for your sins, the Bible says you will be saved. 
Some of you can't even answer if you know without a doubt you're in a relationship with Jesus. But if you want to be sure today, you pray this with me from your heart. You say, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sins as I enter into a covenant relationship with you. I know you died on the cross for my sins, that you rose again. And today, I surrender to you in Jesus' name. And some of you here are saying, Pastor, I do have a relationship with Jesus. But I'm facing something. Come on, you show me your hands right now if you're facing something beyond you. A marriage, a child, a sickness, a dream. I want you to pray something right now. I want you to pray the most impossible prayer you can think of. But let the motive be kingdom-minded. Try it out. Pray the most impossible prayer with a kingdom motive. Tell God what you would do for his kingdom if he answers this prayer. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus and no other name. As we dismiss and leave this service, Father, in this church today, online right now, Lord, or watching us right now, Lord, there are people in dire need of a miracle. There are children that have wandered. There are marriages that are failing. There are sicknesses in these bodies. There are dreams that are hopeless. There are broken hearts. Father, sometimes we don't pray because we feel it's no point. But Father, take these impossible prayers now for your glory. Father, if you can heal my dog, imagine what you can do for your children. Forgive us for doubting, for our unbelief. And remember, Lord, our covenant with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great week. Pray those impossible prayers. I'll see you next Sunday.